Hello and welcome to the Surplus Geek Podcast. I'm Jake and today I am joined by Mav. Uh, how is it going? How's it going with you? Uh, it is going somewhat good. We'll see. Um, so I wanted to have you on specifically because of your new, unique experience and a few things, uh, you have some things to bring to the table, specifically uh, later on we'll talk a little about mental health in the military. I think it's an important thing. Um, but what's a little uh, background information on you? Uh, who are you and so forth? All right. I am Mav. I'm 20 years old in the U.S. Air Force. I am currently stationed in Osan, South Korea. I went to school for two years to be a military historian, but I currently work in a military post office. Nice. So um, why the Air Force? Uh, so I actually come from a very long line of U.S. airmen and pilots. So my father was an aviator. My grandfather is an aviator. His father before him was a U.S. Air Force pilot during World War II, the Korean War, Vietnam. His father before him worked on planes in the airfields of France in World War I. So my family has been Air Force from the very beginning. If anyone has Air Force in their blood, it's me. That's insane. All the way back to the, the beginnings of air and war. That's crazy. Literally the first days my family's been there. So you just continued that. I, that's fair. I, I'm kind of doing the same thing when I did the Army. Well, National Guard, but it's still Army, I guess. I, Dad was in the Army. Grandfather was in the Army. So forth and so on. Um, I don't know where I was going with that. But moving on. Uh, that's pretty cool, actually. It'd be kind of cool to talk to your dad just because pilots are always awesome. Uh, did, was your dad like, uh, what kind of pilot was your dad, just out of curiosity? like a... um, So he was actually a civilian aviator. Oh, okay. um, but one of the first planes he learned to fly on was a P-51 Mustang. Oh, nice. And that was around the time that he came out. And he looked scary similar to the character Goose. So that was his nickname, when he started flying and it was even his license plate was goose. So then when I was 14 and I started picking up aviation, like my dad, he started calling me Mav. Oh, so okay. I was always the Mav to his goose and that's where the nickname came from. All right. That's pretty awesome. That's pretty cool. Um, yeah, it's funny. My, my uncle actually was uh, a Marine and he was, uh, I think he was an aircraft mechanic, but then after <laughs> he got out of the Marines, he became a pilot and he flew like out of Dubai and some other things. So, Oh, wow. Yeah, and now he's a lawyer, so go figure. Um, Full circle. Yeah, he's a lawyer married to an eye surgeon. So, like, yeah, I know. Talk about a life. Um, so, you're, we can always, we can, I kind of only can scratch the surface in the Korea thing because you're kind of limited in what you talk about uh, with, you know, reasons. But uh, how is Korea? You're not the first guest I've had on to be in Korea, but. It is interesting. Korea is a major deployment, or not deployment, but station area for people. Um, but, you know, how has your experience been? So I've definitely come at a tense time for the U.S. and North Korea. We call them our neighbors to the north because every time we do any sort of exercise on base, so we do contingency plans, and that's basically... You know, what will we do if North Korea decides to come down and fight us? So every time we do an exercise, North Korea gets nervous and they start launching their own exercises 
which makes base leadership nervous. So then we start launching more exercises again. And it's, it's very tense to be at a constant stalemate with your neighboring country. Um, the base is, you know, it's not the biggest base I've ever been on, but, um, you know, it's, it's actually divided between U.S. forces and South Korean forces. So, like, three quarters of the base is American, about one quarter is Korean. So, even when you're on base, it's still, like, a constant culture shock. Like, hmm. you're never fully integrated, like, not integrated, I guess, but you're never fully surrounded by American culture, like you would be on other bases in foreign countries. So, that's definitely different just today when i ate at the uh, korean chow hall so mm. it's all traditional korean food and it's pretty good i'll give them that i like their food that's pretty cool i mean that's that beats the chow halls i had to eat at uh where the cooks couldn't even figure out how to boil eggs or boil water to cook the eggs that the institutionalized eggs or whatever they used uh um, oh believe me we have our own chow halls with that struggle yeah, yeah that's why we go and eat at the koreans <laughs> That's fair. Yeah, that's I. That's pretty cool, though. I, you know, it's interesting that a base in Korea is majority. I mean, it makes sense as American base, but it's funny to think about it. it's a <laughs> Korean base that's majority American. Like, that's just interesting to think about. Um, obviously, Korea was not your first choice of of station. It was not. Germany was, um, or any base in Europe. But in my tech school class, there were a few of us who ended up with Korea. So we actually all ended up at the same workplace together. A couple people actually really wanted Korea. I was vehemently opposed to it, but I've appreciated it. You know, I've been across the entire country. I've been from the 38th parallel down to the coastal city of Busan. So... I've tried to make the most of being here. <laughs> Fair enough. You got to embrace the suck sometimes, you know. How the sun requires that. Yeah, I can only imagine. Um, especially with, uh, is it cold over in Korea? Like, yeah, it gets really hot during the summer. It gets really cold during the winter. Right now, it's like in between, which is nice. But I mean, you'll wake up in the morning and it's two degrees outside and. You have to either walk to work or pay for a cab, and I opt for the cab. It's just, you know, lower lower risk of hypothermia. I'll take it. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, it was actually minus 10 here not too long ago, so I, I feel that uh, literally. Uh, that's pretty cold <laughs> for us. Uh, we kind of skipped it. I didn't even think about it. But uh, uh, basic military training, you, you, your guys' basic training, uh, BMT, how, how was that for you? You know, Any advice, thoughts, concerns? <laughs> um so i went during covid still so we were all in masks and it was you know kind of hard to get yeah it was definitely difficult and i rely a lot on reading people's lips to understand what they're saying so you know the mti would be yelling at me and i'd just stand there and go huh and then i'd get yelled at more so um thankfully from what I've heard, they aren't doing that anymore, like the masks. But um, if you have trouble listening, work on listening skills before you go. Because you're going to have to pick up every little thing that you hear from leaders. 
And uh, I actually did have friends who got either removed from basic training or sent back two weeks in training because they could not meet uh, physical fitness standards. So anyone looking to go in, it doesn't matter if you've already met the requirements, look to max out every single thing that they're going to test you on. So push-ups, sit-ups, run, just, you know, aim to be better than the best. Yeah, I would, I would agree. I would say that all that advice you just gave applies to all the branches. Do, do yourself a mm -hmm. favor and be at as peak physical fitness that you can be. Don't do a me yeah. and go there not prepared and then just suck the entire time you're at basic training. Because that was my life. And, uh, oh, it happens to the best of us. Yeah, and I'm not a physical person. It's just, it's just, I'm more of a brains kind of person than a physical. I don't know why I picked infantry. I, I don't know. But recruiters. Yeah, well, that and tow missiles. I just couldn't say no to them. Uh, I wanted to be a tanker actually originally. I was going to join active, and then my buddy was like, I've told this story before, but my buddy was like, oh, join with me. I'm doing the National Guard. And I was like, okay. And then he didn't go in, and I went in. So, I mean, that happens, but. Yeah, it, it, uh, I would say that's really good advice. You know, be prepared. The listening skills, definitely, because you're not always looking at the, you know, the guy yelling at you or giving you instructions. Uh, so it's really, actually, is really good advice uh, that I would never even thought of that, you know, make sure you know what you're being told because uh, I also yeah. have a hard time with understanding and not being able to fully process if I'm not looking mm -hmm. at someone. So that's really good advice. Um, and uh, I, I can't even imagine doing the mask thing while in such a stressful environment and, and especially a new environment. Um, yeah. But I, you went to college before or after BM? Like I did. Um, so I did two years of college. Uh, I got accepted to an early college program when I was 16. So I did two years of community college before I enlisted. And I... Uh, it was an unofficially declared major, but it was military history. So I specialized in the World Wars and Crusades oh, wow. because That's you shouldn't let 16-year-olds choose their major. Fair enough. I mean, hey, you know, it's better than some other majors that I can think of. But uh, I mean, I went to college and I dropped out. So, you know, a major versus a no major is, you know, you got to take the win. Um, yeah, that's that's pretty cool. I I. Uh, I will say going to uh, college, I think, is also, if you've gone to college before you do basic of any types, I actually think it helps because it gets you away from home, gets you into a place with different people that's not the people we went to school with. Um, definitely helped me a little bit because I was definitely a homebody, didn't want to leave home. And uh, even though I dropped out of college, I still went to college for a little while, um, six weeks. But... <laughs> I only got six weeks in and I was like, wow, this sucks. I hate this. I don't know why I'm here. I'm wasting money currently. I mean, better, better you figure it out then than, you know, three years into your degree and then you're like, oh, this sucks. Never mind. I liked the degree I was going for, but I did not like the school. I did not like the idea of it. And I was, and I, my parents were like, if you're going to leave college, you have two options. Get a job or join the military. So I did both. Got a job and then joined the military. And uh, it worked out, I guess. I don't know doing a podcast now that five people listen to so that worked out um yeah, i'm sure there's seven yeah don't beat yourself up <laughs> uh the shorts do better than the podcast so i'm not i'm not too worried uh 
So, all right. So, Korea, Korea is Korea. Uh, I would have no clue. The furthest I traveled from the military was New Jersey. Um, no, actually, that's not true. Virginia. Sorry, I lied. Virginia was the first furthest I traveled to, and it was covered in spiders. Um, oh, yeah. The, thanks. The four, the forest four would uh, move. So, <laughs> thanks. We're gonna have nightmares tonight. Oh, sorry. I Sorry to all the arachnophobes <laughs> out there too. You just, you know, spoiler—not spoiler. A uh, trigger warning for arachnophobes. I should have probably said that before. But all right. So future plans. Uh, do you plan on staying in the Air Force? You going to try to transition? Uh, anything in that realm? Anything you want to talk about in that realm? Um, yeah. So I'm actually looking to switch to the Coast Guard Reserve. Uh, you know, it'll get me back to my home state. I'll be. You know, I'll just have more options. I'll be able to spend my time more how I'd like to. And, you know, I can say I did my four years active duty. I did my service to my country. And then I can, you know, sit at home, finish up my military history degree, get my diagnostic sonography degree, and, you know, start making bank. Yeah. Yeah. You got a plan there. I mean, and I will say to people listening that because some people listening are under 18, I know uh, if you're going to join, mm-hmm. consider one of the reserve guard options. Any of those, like you said, Coast Guard, Reserve, Army Sitter. Reserve, I guess the Marine Reserve, uh, although I don't know about that one. Um, Air National Guard is a really good choice. It, it, you, you just you can go to school. If you want to go to school, you can get a job and work towards a career that you want to do or trade. If you want to go to trade school, um, I think more people need to go to trade schools. So it, it gives you sure. wide options and stuff and, and do an active duty. I think active duty is great. Uh, Cause you get out of your, you get out of your comfort zone and you get out there and you learn some personable skills and, and you interact with different people from different parts of the country and stuff. And that stuff's all great. Um, but like you said, going from active, doing your time in active and then transitioning into some sort of reserve component, really good way to do it. Um, to, well, and it all depends on your goals. So like, if you want to go out and travel and, you know, potentially go to other countries, active duty is great. But if you're looking to stay at home, focus on school, maybe, you know, serve your country earn a little extra money on the side, definitely look at reserves or guard. Oh yeah, for sure. I, you definitely will make more money doing the reserves of the guard. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and again, easier to gain, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and like you were saying, it allows you to focus on what you want to do where you're not in another country, not able to focus yeah. on what you want to do. So it, it opens up a lot of doors. And although I will say employment wise, be careful. I've run into my issues with employment and being in the guard. Uh, it's actually one of the reasons why I'm not in the guard anymore. And I can't talk about it cause I'm still employed by those people, but, uh, in the future, eventually, I would love to talk about that story because that is, you know, you have, if you're going to the Guard or the Reserve, look up ESGR. They're a really good resource for people that are in the Guard and the Reserve. Uh, they will sort of give you information. Um, I Mixed results. But, so yeah, that's pretty cool. Coast Guard Reserve, that's pretty cool. Coast Guard in general is one of those uh, branches that I think is underlooked at by people because they see Army, they see Marines, and they're just, oh, cool. But the Coast Guard... Uh, there's a lot more there's a lot of options for the coast guard that i don't think people think about because it has it has the sea-based elements you have uh helicopter and uh fixed wing elements as well so it's not like you're limited to sitting behind a desk or something um they even used to have a cavalry component during world war ii i didn't know that that's interesting did they 
They had coasties on horseback with rifles, just up that, and down beaches. I was going to say, was that like beach patrol? That's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, that's my dream job. Bring back the Coast Guard Cavalry. What are they doing? Just for me. Just for me. <laughs> I mean, I'm not going to lie. It'd be kind of cool to see like Coast Guard just on horses going up beaches and stuff. I mean, I live in a state with beaches. I'd love to see that. Honestly, I think it would, I think it would help tourism. Be good. Yeah. Yeah, Everyone I mean, wants to see the coasties on horseback with guns. Who wouldn't? I know, and and uh, Coast Guard, they, they, those guys would be federal officers, aren't they? Uh, uh, wouldn't they be federal officers at this point? And I don't know how the Coast Guard works, but pretty sure I can't. Pretty sure you become because they're part of the Department of Homeland Security, so it has their yeah, they're DHS. Yeah, they're they're that dual weird thing where depending on what their use is, they're either DHS or they're DOD and stuff. And Coast Guard's interesting. Yeah, sounds like. Way. There's separate jobs within it. One's DHS and one's DOD. But then in a time of war, the entirety of the Coast Guard and the U.S. Public Health Service and the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, they're both mobilized into the Coast Guard more than normal. And the Coast Guard is completely mobilized into the Department of the Navy. Then they're all DOD. Huh. Yeah, so keep that in mind if you're going to join the Coast Guard. (laughs) You know, there's other options for uniformed service. If you've already got your degree in something mathematic or something healthcare related, you can go to the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, the NOAA Commission Corps, and they are considered uniformed officers of the United States military or the U.S. Public Health Service. Who are, oh, yeah. you know, yeah. mostly doctors, but you also have, like, nurses. Uh, you have different specialties within it. So even if you don't want to be directly in the military, there's definitely still options for service. Yeah, I didn't even think of the public health service. That's a good, that's another good example, especially if you're going already into the medical field and you want to serve and you don't want to just be, like, a 68 whiskey or something like that in the Army. You could go in that direction. That's a good point. Yeah. I, there's a lot of options. I, I, I did. Um, I was voluntold to join uh, what we call CASE, which is uh, a Seaburn assistance support element. And uh, there's three C's to the C. I don't remember them all. But anyways, um, it's basically a Seaburn unit. We're, we're the people that set up fences and, and help assist with the casualties and all that jazz. And uh, it falls underneath the Homeland uh, umbrella. Um, sort of thing so it's kind of it's it's kind of weird because it's kind of oh you're almost civilian at that point in terms of operation but uh it's one of those weird things actually a good example of them being used is that ohio chemical train explosion thingamajig that happened recently um they activated the ohio and i think i forget it was other it was like west virginia's national guard and their civil support teams and i'm pretty sure part of that would have been potentially their um i actually now i think about it it's probably because west virginia is part of their region they divide the country up into regions region one is new england region two i think is new york and then it goes on from there and stuff and latchin uh, region it would be them yeah so that way yeah and then like for us if, if if you had an event that happened say in rhode island rhode island national guard is not gonna be able to respond to it because they're in the middle of said action. So like the rest of the states mm-hmm. in, come down and stuff. So it's pretty cool. We worked with like the Vermont National Guard and uh, I think New Hampshire as well. And 
they, they train you up. We got like de-escalation training on and stuff and like how to stand so you don't like piss off someone who's trying to get, because the whole idea is that we set up a wall so that people can't get in, people can't get out. Uh, so that way they have to go through decon and you don't, you know, if, if an event happens and people's families in there, they're going to want to go in and save them. You have to try to prevent that and stuff. The worst part about it Drugs. was, yeah, the worst part about it was they're like, all right, what do you do if someone has a gun? And we're like, I don't know, shoot them. And they're like, yeah, you don't get a gun. So you have to find like a state trooper or sheriff oh. and, and yeah, and bring them in. And, and yeah, I, it's just like, whoop, I guess, uh, they're like, just deescalate the situation. You'll be fine. And I'm like, cool. I'm going to die because someone's trying to save their kid um and i'm just doing my not job. how i want to go out but yeah not not great um i will say though that was some of the fun my most other than shooting off tow missiles i actually even though i got voluntold to do that and i thought i was going to hate it we got hazmat certified i took a bunch of tests uh texas a&m they hired texas a&m guys they came up and trained us on all that stuff and you know i'm certified in a bunch of random things now that i'm never going to use but it was cool it was fun I did pretty good on the test. Yeah, so cert, cert. Yeah, I, I see. I there's no way to use it. I had to do like fire or something like that, and then go into like the fire service, and then I just I'm not cut out for that. So, uh, I mean, this last exercise, they like randomly pulled me. I wasn't even like part of the exercise, but my leadership just needed to send someone. They were like, "Map, you're gonna go learn how to process dead bodies." Ooh. And I was like. So I went and I learned to be a mortuary technician in a contingency operation. So if they ever need a mortuary tech out in the field, I'm now one of the go-tos. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Take as you please. Yeah. I I'm mean, not completely sure either. It's kind of cool, though. I'm not going to lie. I mean, it's kind of interesting. I don't know if I could handle that personally, but... Uh, I think yeah. I'd be trying, but I could get it done. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I, it makes sense. I understand why they would do that because if, if I'm assuming there's mortuary staff on base, but like if they can't do it, they need someone. Else. We 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 did the same thing. We had guys pulled for like, all right, you're gonna be the commo guy. You're gonna go learn all the radios, and they went through a whole course on it, and then he became our commo guy. And he wasn't a trained uh, like radio specialist, but he just became the trained radio specialist. That way. You're out in the field and your radio goes down. This guy knows how to, you know, work it. And then we had guys that, we had a guy that became a bus driver. Uh, his job, because we had these buses, his job, he was a state trooper. So he knew how to drive. He was respect, you know, respectable in the unit to take that responsibility. They're like, all right, you're going to learn how to be the truck driver or the, the bus driver. And you're going to be a bus driver. So he bust us uh, down to trainings and stuff. And that was his job. Like, while that was a side job, I guess you can say. It's one of those weird things where I don't think people think about it in the military. You're not always just doing, not just kicking doors down. And Well, yeah. yeah, and that's something that people forget is you don't have just one job in the military. You're trained for so many different things. Like, I say that for a lot of military people, our primary job is armed janitor. Yes. It's like, even in basic training in boot camp, you are learning how to clean. Yes. You are learning how that. to organize. Especially infantry. Um, infantry are definitely all janitors. That's yeah. They they're barely infantry. They yeah. just they have mop. They're the mop men. Yeah, exactly. It's true. I I we every drill you got to clean your you got to clean the we had we had a guy that was that was like a contracted civilian that did the cleaning. But that Sunday came around, 
We were sweeping. We were cleaning the bathrooms. We were doing everything, cleaning the showers. Everything had to be cleaned. So yeah, well, even here at the post office I work at, all of a sudden we'll just be told, "Get up! You're not going to breakfast. You're going to go outside and clean." Oof. And we're like, "We're part of the BX. We have janitors to do this." And they're like, "Nope, we have airmen. They can use the janitors. We'll use the airmen." Oh, I don't man. think we do as good of a job as the janitors would. Yeah, well, you know, the janitors probably like it, though. Yeah, they get, I'm pretty sure they get paid about as well as we do, too. Yeah, so they're probably like, cool, less work, nice. Although, they might be like, oh, crap, this looks like bad. What's, now we gotta go reclean it, so it's always a possibility. I know our guy didn't do anything. Great guy, I'm not trying to knock him, but I know he sat around most of the time. So, once in a while, he'd buff the floor, the, like, seven tiles that we had in the very entrance of the armory. But, like, for the most part, sat in his office. Don't blame him. That's the way a janitor does his thing. I can confirm. But, uh, yeah. We, yeah. I'll just leave it at that. But, um, so, I guess we'll dive from janitors into uh, the, the serious topic of the video, which is mental health in the military. And this is the reason why I want to be on, because I, I actually caught, you were talking to someone in a comment on an Instagram. I can't remember who it was, but it was someone that, that talks about the stuff. And it was just, you're just basically going off on them because they were just saying dumb things. And I was like, all right, I got to have this person on to talk about mental health and how important it is and how it's overlooked even in the smallest detail uh, of things. Um, so I don't really have a question to lead off on because it's kind of one of those things. But uh, I don't know. Uh, What's your take on it? Uh, how it's handled, things of that nature? Um. So mental health in the military is definitely something that they've started talking about more recently because, you know, there's the 22 a day statistic, 22 veterans a day commit suicide. And it is a really sad statistic and leadership, it seems like is finally catching on and they're like, okay, we need to get our people help because if we don't, they're just, you know, are we going to leave them completely abandoned? Are we going to you know, not make them feel supported. That's not good for retention. That's not good for morale. That's not good for the military in general. So I can definitely see that recently it's been something that they've picked up on more. But at the same time, you still hear these horror stories of people who, you know, attempt suicide and then they're punished by leadership for it. And they're given extra duty or they're you know, handed paperwork for it. And that is still really sad to see. So even here, you know, this base has really good medical facilities. Uh, they've helped me more than once when I've had serious complications here. But even so, you know, sometimes you just try to reach out and you get redirected, you get sent, you know, in circles. So I remember one time I reached out because I had thought, I just want to talk to a therapist because I had stuff going on at home. Um, you know, I didn't really feel like I had anyone to talk to about these things. So I had called the clinic and I had said, hey, I'd like to make an appointment to get in and just talk to a therapist. And the first question they asked me was, are you suicidal? And I said, no, I would just like to talk to someone. And they said, oh, well, unless you're planning on committing suicide, we don't have space to get you in to talk to anybody. And said, you can try a chaplain though. And 
you know, chaplains are great and all. I love, I've had some amazing chaplains. They're great people to talk to, but sometimes you want a professional view of things. You want someone, you know, highly educated in this field to talk to instead of a religious leader. So I felt, you know, in that moment, I felt pretty, I don't want to say distraught, but I was pretty disheartened. And, you know, I think that mental health in the military has come a long way from, you know, especially where we were during the Vietnam and Korean wars, because now it's not just viewing people as machines. These are people. Like your fighting force is not mindless. They're not just bodies. They're individuals. And granted, those individuals make up a whole, but you still need the individual to be a component to that. So I do think that we've come a long way, but I do think that there are still a lot of misconceptions about you know, treating mental health in the military. Yeah, I'd agree. And I think uh, the, the chaplain thing is, uh, chaplains are great and I agree, but it's like having a broken leg and, and going to see the chaplain. I mean, sometimes the chaplain can't, solve all your problems the chaplain's not the the you know because especially uh like uh, if it's a civilian that you're going to for the professional help they have a different uh experience or outlook on it it's a it's you haven't you have a different set of eyes on it that's not set in the military ways so it can kind of give you a little bit of perspective on things i know from my my uh experience i had mental health issues when i was in and i went and saw our behavioral health uh, which is a little bit different for the guard, but it's a state thing. And and actually, I will say, if you're in my state's National Guard, you're generally speaking going to be well taken care of. I had an, ex- an amazing experience with them. They were very attentive and helpful, and it was a mix of, of National Guard and civilians. So it, it just, I felt like I was being taken care of. From my unit side, for the most part, we're cool, and I'm not going to disparage my unit, but individuals in my unit i will say i did get the uh the negative aspect of it where i did feel kind of othered i didn't feel like i was part of the unit anymore i mean the last year of my time in the service i just i didn't really feel like i was supposed to be there anymore just because i had issues and i and they were pretty serious i they were i'm not gonna go super duper into detail in there but it was it was serious enough and uh it actually has to do with what i was talking about earlier with my uh my work and and employment issues but um they, it became known as they would, you know, people would say you're pulling a, my last name, basically, uh, you know, oh, don't, don't pull, you know, surplus geek. We'll just say, you know, you're pulling a surplus geek. That's what it became. And I would hear it from other guys saying like, oh, you know, platoon sergeant was, was talking about you guys that, and the thing is, is the, the part that made me mad, mad about it, uh, was that the guys in my unit, a lot of guys would come to me if they had problems. I was the go-to, uh, confidant, I guess to to talk about you know that they felt like they couldn't talk about with other people and it made me mad that you know here i am trying to get help and stuff people are like hey you know give me a heads up you know what happens with you because i'm curious if i need if i go get help you know what is it going to be like what they're going to do and all this stuff and i'm finding out that my platoon sergeants you know talking smack about me behind my back and stuff and uh you know and telling guys like oh don't talk to him you know he you know basically you get that pariah kind of like section the person off kind of thing so and that was only 2018 so it wasn't that long ago. Um, I've only been out since 2019. So it's it's definitely still happens. 
Uh, like I said, the good thing is that the behavioral health side of things were great. So I had that going for me. And I understand we had guys when I was in that totally used it to their advantage. They they were saying the stuff so they can get out of drill or they could get out of things. 100% it happened. You can tell when someone's, you can generally speaking tell, I'm not going to say for sure, but you can generally tell when someone's lying about that stuff. And it hurts the overall uh, bigger picture of everything. Um, but yeah. I, 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 I can, yeah. I was going to say, I can remember when I first got here, I was just struggling with the fact that, you know, I was so far away from my family. I didn't speak the language. I didn't want to be in that at this base. I was completely uncomfortable in this new environment. I didn't want to be in the workplace I've been in. And I had tried to, that was when I tried to reach out to mental health. And that's when they had said, oh, well, if you're not suicidal we're not gonna do anything for you we don't have the resources to help you and that just made me feel very abandoned and unfortunately I wear my heart on my sleeve and I took that into work with me and my first supervisor who was something in and of herself pulled me aside and told me that I was a dark cloud hanging over everyone at the shop and that just made me feel even worse and I was like well I can't get help I'm completely alone no one's listening to me and you know stigmatizing something like mental health isn't gonna help anyone because it just left me feeling alone and then I ended up passing that on to apparently people around me and it all starts with one person deciding to go in and get help. And once you get things off your chest, maybe you're able to help someone else. Maybe you're able to say to someone else, you can come to me and I can try to pass on some of the advice I was given. Or I can tell you how it was to go in and talk to mental health. And you can give other people that reassurance. But it all starts with being able to have access to those resources. Yeah, and having supervisors, leadership that that actually care and do their job. Because that's a failure of leadership and, and the not having enough resources. Uh, I don't want to disparage any base commanders, but that's kind of a failure of leadership at the top. That's their job is to make sure that there's those resources so you can get take care of. I mean... Uh, you know, and again, none of this is, this is all your own opinions. I we forgot to say this earlier on. This is all your opinions, not endorsed by anyone. You're not endorsing opinions of the DOD, blah, blah, blah. But I'm not paid enough to be endorsed by their, exactly. By the DOD. Exactly. So for a little A1C, I do not make enough for, <laughs> yeah, you express the feelings of the U S military, <laughs> but it's, it's important. Uh, and I, and I know, um, there's this mentality of like uh, you got to be a, a tough guy and, and all this stuff, but I, you know, I don't think people realize is that once the demon sets in your head, it, it doesn't go away. You can't just power through. So I mean, the one percent might be able to power through it, but most people, it's gonna slowly eat away at them. And and if you were really quote unquote being a dark cloud, that should have been your leadership's like heads up to say, hey, we got to take care of this person. We got to do something about it. Not the way they went about it, obviously, but. And a normal person would think this person's really upset. This person needs help, not this person is upset. 
I need to get on them for being upset and can like threaten them that if they're, if they continue being upset, they're going to get paperwork for, I can't even remember what the paperwork was I was threatened with. I think it was like failure to meet standards or something like that. It was something, it was something really weird. I was like, because I don't smile 24 seven, I'm going to be given paperwork. Yeah. And it was just the stupidest well, thing. Well, that's a classic. Really, I was yeah. gonna say that, that's a classic catch-all. The like or like failure to meet um, to adapt to stay uh, like the environment, whatever the heck they call it. That's a classic example where they, they you know they use that against everyone. They use that against us for you know uh, PT failures and stuff. Where you know the guard is really weird when it comes to PT, and I will say you got to get on it. I was bad at it myself, but they they use that all the times where they'll they'll say, oh, I have failure to meet, you know, and they'll threaten you with it. And, and I always it's, it's I, I wish leadership would stop doing that. It's like either kick guys out or don't. I, I I'm so sick of the like, oh, we're gonna we're gonna kick you out, and then they never kick the guy out, and he's been in for four years. It's like just you're you I, I don't know. But, love threats. Love just like having something to hang over your head. Yes. So they can they be like, works. oh, you do that one more time. You do that one more time, you're going to get it. And, you know, there's no lesson to be learned from it. Yeah, Because exactly. they never follow through. Well, yeah, and, and it's a little bit different with the guard because you only see your, your unit once, you know, once a month. Um, where, mm-hmm. But it's just like, it, no one checks in. We... I don't want to get too far into the how I think the guard can improve, but I think the Espirit de Corps is just not quite there. Not yeah, we're some guys would be cool, but for the most part, I didn't really talk to my guys when I was out and about doing my, you know, because we go back to our civilian lives and you do your own thing. And I think that that's one of the negative aspects of the guard uh, where you just don't. It's like you're living two separate lives. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, you really are. And uh, And I think that's the thing too that. People would tell me, I the one thing that got that always got me was people were like you signed up for this. When I would be like, oh, I'm having a hard time. It's like I I don't know what I'm signing up for. Like, there nothing can really prepare you for the military. It's a very unique experience. Well, and that's what they always say here is, oh, you chose this, you signed up for this, and I want to explain to people that. You know, I was raised around the old guard guys, like the guys who deployed in Vietnam and Korea. My grandfather was a Korean war vet. So I was raised with the old Air Force. I was raised with the old blue, is what um, my NCOIC calls it. So I thought that I was, you know, I foolishly thought I was going to be getting my grandfather's, my great-grandfather's Air Force that had so many different priorities and was truly about being the military and was about serving your country. Well, you get into the military now and it's, you talk to the average person and it's just someone who wants to pay for college. Yeah. This is not, this is not the same air force that flew in and bombed Berlin in world war two. This is, a completely new deal. Yeah, I can see that. So yeah. it's really hard for me to adjust to because I was like, this is not what I was raised around. This is not who was so formative in my upbringing. Because I was always surrounded by veterans. Like, I grew up next to an air base, or I guess it is an air guard base, but uh, I 
was just always around veterans. I was always around guys who were so proud of their service, who had deployed to so many different countries during different wars. And I was like, yeah, I want to be one of them. And then I joined and I was like, this, this is not what I thought it was going to be. And it was culture shock going from that old guard air force to this new guard. And it, you know, I really think that contributed to the decline in my mental health because it isn't at all what I had thought I was signing up for. Yeah. And, and, and again, I think, you know, it's, it's one of those things where it's, you just, you can't, you can't know what you're getting into your, until you're into it. So you can yeah. guess you can kind of, I mean, my dad did, uh, he was army. He went to Germany for six months for reforger, uh, Germany kind of all over Belgium, Germany, you know, for forger and did that. And I got those stories and the stuff and it's like, you know, Man, this sounds great. You know, it's you know, he, there's some bad stories in there too, but it was it always sounded so much better than it than it turned out to be where, you know, he yeah. I mean again, I I had fun in the I can't take away there's a I've met a lot of good guys in the in the National Guard and I had a lot of fun at times. Uh it just at, at other times you're like, "Wow, this is the worst experience of my life. Why am I here right now?" And it's funny; it was always the shorter weekends. I, I did a three week in in Virginia, and it was like the greatest time I ever had in my life. We it rained half of it, and like I said, the floor is, floor was scary, but like it was great. It was it was it was fun. Uh, we actually did actual training where we we took our Humvees out and did like fought op for you know and and had you know uh, miles gear and all that jazz, and it was fun. But the, the well, and I think that's what contributes to that, like feeling fun and like the camaraderie is when you like everything really sucks, and you're just like, this is the military. Yeah. Like when we have exercises here, and we're just laying around in our helmets and our vests and our chem gear, and I'm like, this sucks. At the same time, I'm like, this is the Air Force. It's a good like, suck. I'm actually. Yeah, like, I'm actually following through on the goal I set when I was in middle school. Like, I am actually in the military. That's when I actually feel like I'm in the military. Most days I just wake up and I feel like I'm putting on a uniform to go work in a post office. Hmm. Yeah, I can see how that would get uh, kind of hard to do over and over again. It's, I don't know how to describe it, but it's almost like I have, like, a military imposter syndrome. Like, I don't feel like... I've really earned the title of airman and I don't really feel like I'll ever be able to call myself a veteran and feel like I deserve it. Like granted I passed BMT. I made it through tech school. I've been on a short tour in a forward deployment location. Like I've done everything necessary, but so many times it just doesn't feel like the military. And that's definitely been one of the hardest things for me since enlisting. Yeah, I know that feeling. It's the reason why my Instagram doesn't say anything about me being in the military. I, I did six years by that standard. I'm a veteran by National Guard standards because you got to do six years, be a veteran, National Guard, get the benefits. Which, But I, I don't consider myself a veteran. I didn't do anything. I didn't go anywhere. You know, I only did training. So I just, yeah, I, it's just, it's an experience. And I go, yeah, I served. And that's about it. <laughs> You know, it's just, yeah, you know, it's a so. frustrating feeling. Cause I served guys that went to Afghanistan. Um, mm -hmm. 
guys that deployed with the unit in Afghanistan, you know, one of the last deployments to Afghanistan for the for our unit, which was a long time ago. I could tell you it was like a decade ago that those guys went. So I got to see and meet guys that actually were over there, reacted to contact, did all the things that infantrymen do. And here's me, this guy who can barely do passes PT and, and is just a nerd. And I'm just like, oh, hey, what's going on? Hello, fellow soldier. You know, and it's just like, they're like, you know, hardened veterans and stuff. And it's just, you know, we got guys that came in for, we had, a, we had one of my sergeants, two tours or three tours with the Marine Corps and then a tour with the Army. And then he came to the Natural Guard. So he, you know, he was in Iraq like three or four times or something like that. So it's like, it, it's a completely different, I, I'm like, I don't, do I even belong in the same unit? You know, I know that's how it works, but it's weird. I definitely get that. There's guys I've talked to here who have been deployed four, five, six times. My own leadership has been on all of these different deployments to the Middle East. And it's, I don't know, it's just a weird thing. You just feel out of place. Yeah. You know, like, when did I get dropped here? Why did I get dropped here with all these people who know what they're doing? Yeah, pretty much. I felt like a kid. I felt like a, a, a kid in a uniform. <laughs> I really do feel like I'm just playing dress up most days. I'm playing camo and I just go to work. And I have to like remind myself on a daily basis you are in the military. Yeah. Hey, we see you guys. Airmen. At least you guys got good camo now. You're not wearing the old tiger stripe digital thing that the Air Force had. It's tiger stripe. I just wish that, you know, could have all the pockets and the zippers like the OCPs do. But yeah. Tiger Stripe was the original. That's what I grew up with seeing. Oh, oh. That was always Air Force. And then I come in and they hand me OCPs and I'm like, we're wearing army uniforms? Oh, I like, I liked when we got OC. Well, see, we had, I, I grew I came in during the UCP era during the, you know, the universal digital camel pattern. And when we got OCPs, yeah. I was so excited to get OCPs and, and not be in UCP anymore. And I was like, oh, this is so great. And, uh, yeah, those are the good times and stuff. Of course, then half our gear was in the old camo and, you know, we're wearing, it was just, it just looked like this weird combination of things and it was a great and We have but... the UCP camo yeah. for our, like, training gear and it just looks so out of place. Yeah, it's, it's our funny. Our training gear is even a tiger stripe. So, like, we, we just look mismatched and you can tell that we are not, like, my section is not trained for war. We are not warriors. We are mailmen. Fair, fair enough. Fair enough. I mean, not everyone. Well, not everyone can be a warrior, right? Maybe uh, not everyone can be in the National Guard. That's true. That's true. <laughs> Being a weekend warrior takes some 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 skill. No. Uh, uh, weekend warriors. There's I, evidence. You're a warrior. Living proof. Yeah. I like nasty girls. I always liked the nasty when people would call us nasty girls. That was always a good one. <laughs> Um, I haven't heard that one. Oh, really? That's a common one. Yeah, active duty. That's the slang for us from active duty, which is, is nasty girls. Weekend warrior, nasty girls. I, I, I don't care. I think it's hilarious. Uh, I love, I love when people razz us for it. I'm like, yeah, I'm a weekend warrior. But at the end of the day, I get to sleep in my own bed. <laughs> so who wins? They're just uh, jealous. Exactly. So I think, I think we covered that pretty well. Actually, I think we went in pretty good detail. Um, is there anything else you want to say uh, before we wrap it up? Uh, the main thing I'd like to just put out there is if you're thinking about joining the military, it has so many great opportunities, so many benefits. 
you don't even have to be active duty like me. You can be guard reserve like surplus geek. There's so many options and you know, you'll never regret choosing to serve your country. Agreed. I also do your research. <laughs> Don't let the recruiter push you around. Yeah, definitely uh, decide things for yourself. Don't just don't just take the recruiter's word. And definitely don't sign a long contract. Go shorter because you can always extend and get a bonus. Don't be like me and get totally screwed. Start with four years. Start with the minimum because you can always decide to serve longer. Exactly. Uh, nothing against my recruiter. I love my recruiter. He was a great guy. But I just wish I did a four, like you said, because I could have did at least two more years and got like a two or $3,000 signing bonus. I saw guys getting those bonuses. I was like, dang it. I don't, <laughs> I want to get out in two years. I don't want to, I don't want to sign up for another two. I, I know a guy that signed up for 10 more years and got like a crazy bonus. So, uh, yeah. Or it was six you got to really six like or, it to be willing to do that. <laughs> yeah. It was a six or 10 year contract. I was like, oh, I'm getting out long before that. I it, I'm not cut out for the long term. Uh, but yeah, I would agree. I would agree that it opens up a lot of doors. Just make sure you do your research. Make sure you pay attention to your health. I think that's a big one, uh, especially now with all this stuff going on with base water and all that jazz. You know, pay attention to that stuff. Um, I can't stress that enough. I sometimes worry about that because of all the exposures and stuff. But uh, and it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what branch you pick. You can get exposed in any of the branches. I would say Navy seems to be the worst right now because they keep having. At the moment, Navy's probably the worst. Um, I'd say just by the sheer size of the Army, you guys are probably the best because you have the most options of places to go. Air Force, you're going to get that plane, those plane fumes coming down. That's true. So, yeah. you know, it's an. Yeah, yeah. And I'd say, you know, I mean, the thing is with, with us was uh, the real quick to that is even in the army, you know, people don't think about diesel fumes, stuff like that. I mean, it's, it's technically it's JP8, so it's jet fuel technically, but uh, that in the Humvee, it came right into it. You, I passed out so many times from exhaust coming into the Humvee or whatever it was coming in the Humvee. Just I just would be like zonked yeah. out and then my sergeant would wake me up and I'd be like, oh, you know, and it's just like I I passed out. That's great. So I probably have brain damage from that, which is great. Uh, it's not service related, though. Of course, you know the VA. Nothing's probably... ever service. -related. Yeah, exactly. I don't even bother going to the VA. It's so difficult as a national guardsman. I will say that's one thing. If you're looking to take advantage of your benefits, do a lot of research into your benefits because it's not just oh, I want a house loan. Click VA loan. Oh, you're good. No, no. It, I I couldn't even get a VA loan because my domicile does not meet the definition that the dod has for said domicile so uh These have interesting definitions of things i know it's very specific and uh i found out the hard way and uh, i got taken for a ride so it was great um adulting is also wonderful. for medical i was gonna say also for medical always keep your records yes like when you go to medical for anything Ask for a hard copy of your discharge papers. Exactly. Because you're going to want to file those away. And if they try to shortchange you when it comes to your benefits, you can say, no, this is what I need. Yep, I would agree. The tech sergeant taught me to do that. And make sure before you go into the military, get your teeth checked out. You don't want the, mm -hmm. the whoever's doctors or dentists going into your mouth and ripping teeth out and doing things. Horror stories. Yeah, I would... Uh, there was a 
girl in my BMT flight who had to get her wisdom teeth removed in BMT. That's the worst time. I would not recommend it. It's a really, yeah, it's not. It was close for me. They thought about it. They looked at mine. They're like, eh, maybe. And then I was like, they're like, do you have a dentist at home? Because they found out I was guard. And I was like, yeah. They're like, oh, I'll let him take care of it. And I was, I got home. My dentist was like, no, we're not taking those out. What are you talking about? And I was like, thank God. I don't, I don't want to take them out. They don't need to come out. I'm not taking them out. But they will. I, that's the thing. I will tell people, dentist is a big one. We annual um, health thing that we did, the PHA uh, for the guard, you can get a form. So you can go to your dentist, they'll sign the form, and that way you don't have to have the contracted dentist that's sitting in a gym look at your teeth. You can just hand a form in. It's someone you trust. Yeah, exactly. Teeth is one of those things. It's one of those things, though, like I would go to the PHA and the guys around me would be like, what are you holding your hand? I'm like, oh, it's my little dentist signed thingamajig. They're like, you could do that? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, you could do that. They're like, oh, wow, I'm already here. I'm like, well, yeah, you don't have a choice now. It's too late, but I'm not doing that. But for future reference, do this. Yeah, yeah, for future reference. Yeah, and uh, take care of your hearing too. That's another big one. Cause yeah, I, uh, I have bad hearing in my left ear, and I mean, I do get some pretty, some halfway decent benefits from it because it happened after I came into the military. But definitely take care of it before you join make sure you are in tip-top shape before you join yeah i had pretty good hearing and then uh uh, my hearing uh my hearing protection popped out on a training exercise and uh, i was on the the 240 and i had to keep shooting i you know we had an app an op forward to shoot at so i had to keep shooting and i was trying to cover my ear up my my shoulder and i'm trying to fire and stuff and it was ringing for like i couldn't hear anything out of that for like a day or two and the 240 with blank loud it's louder than a 50 with I, a blank adapter, so. No, thanks. Yeah, yeah. The same thing happened to my dad, though. He went to the range. They went to the 50 cal range when he was in. Uh, when he, he was in Texas, Fort Hood. And they get there, and they're like, all right, you're going to go on the range, start shooting the 50. And you're like, oh, what about hearing protection? You didn't bring your own? And they're like, no. We didn't know we were doing this. They're like, oh, you got to go anyways. Get up there. And they just went up there. And, of course, he has, you know, slight hearing loss from that, so. Only slight. Yeah, only slight. I mean, it was outdoors, so you know, it's the sound kind of dissipates. It's all right, but all right, we'll we'll wrap this up. Uh, if you want to find you, where do we find you? You can find me on Instagram at slavmav. That is s l a v dot m a v. And I will link that down below in the description or descriptions wherever you're listening. If you're listening, watching, whatever. And uh, uh, thanks for watching, listening. And uh, uh, thanks for coming on. Appreciate it. Yeah, thank you for having me. And uh, we'll say goodbye. So goodbye, everyone.